Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Liberty Diner Dish. I'm Ken. I'm Michelle. And we're about to jump right into another episode of Queer as Folk. We are doing episode 210 this time, and that means we are halfway through season two. Oh my God, we are rocking and rolling. We are, yeah. Wow, it's just moving, <laughs> and I am not, like, I am not ready for it to come to an end. I know. Uh, yeah, there's still a whole lot going on in this season, but um, yeah. It feels like we got, in a way, it feels like we got here pretty quickly to the midway point. But in, but to I me, guess because that took like, us a whole year to get through season one. Right. Also, that yeah, will not happen with the other seasons. Absolutely not. But, absolutely uh, not. But yeah, I feel like we made it to this point very quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was fighting you tonight. Like, no! I knew, like, <laughs> no, I, this episode cannot be over. Yeah. You know? So, like, no. It's like, they're going so quickly. And it's like, I'm wanting more and more and more. Yeah. Now, and this one has, like, a few... I guess like key scenes that people remember, but the if you look at the episode just itself, it's kind of weird. It's a little bit well, not weird, but just a little bit different, and so it doesn't stand right. out as a whole episode mm-hmm. as much as some of the others might. That's because it's all over the place. Like this episode, I feel like I mean we got a little taste of everybody, right? You know, like I mean everybody had like a, a storyline for real this time. Justin and Brian had a storyline within, and then so Emmett had a storyline. We, Michael had his own, you know. So, I mean, and then the girls, like, they had yeah, a very strong... Yeah, they had strong... a big uh, storyline here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, this one was interesting in a different way. And we'll get to explore some of that, yeah, just as the conversation unfolds. So, let's <laughs> go ahead and get started with this one. We start out with Michael. And he's doing some great voiceover work. He's reading the Captain Astro comic. Mm-hmm. And I cannot gloss over the fact that one of the characters <laughs> uh, is... Hold on. What was it? Uh, Mel- Mr. Morfister? Yeah, <laughs> or Mor- Morfisto. Morfisto. <laughs> yeah. Okay, they're doing the most with these words, okay? And yeah. Cap- Captain Astro, right. okay? And Morfisto. Yeah. Get it together, y'all. Get okay, a little nasties. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I just, we cannot gloss over that. But uh, Michael is reading it, and it's getting really good, getting really intense. And then he gets to the last page, and Captain Astro dies. And then to put a period on that, it says, the end. Uh, So, yeah, Michael is crushed. And so he's over at the diner, and he's with Brian, Emmett, and Ted, and he's telling them what happened. And Emmett is somewhat sympathetic. Brian is not at all, and Ted just kind of doesn't get it. And so they ask him, well, how did he die? What happened? And he said that he had uh, some intergalactic virus that there's no cure for. And it's like, well, what does that sound like? Well, reading between the lines, that's, uh, that's AIDS. AIDS is mm-hmm. what, what they had him, uh, what they had him die from. Uh, so Debbie notices Emmett's expression. And then she notices Michael's expression. And she asks Michael what's wrong. And Michael says, well, they killed him. And she's like, oh my gosh, baby, who? And he says, Captain Astro. <laughs> she was like, boy, you scared me. She smacks him upside the head. He deserves it. They're standing over him. Like they had a real funeral. Like, like, he's about to give the eulogy or something. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's a comic book, Michael. Like, yeah. I'm here for you. But those are some real devoted-ass friends, I will say. They are, they <laughs> well, are there for well, him. Well, for sure, Emmett, he's got a consoling hand on his back. And even Justin, when Debbie asks, like, there's a lot of sincerity and in compassion his in his voice. Yeah. And also, he puts a consoling hand on Michael's back also. Mm-hmm. And even though they're, like, kind of friends, like, they don't really have that kind of relationship, no. you know? But just the way they're speaking of him as if he's a real person. Like, it's... Yeah, it's, well, those two, Brian yeah. and Ted, are kind of like... Eh, but they're, you know... I'm with Brian on this way. You know, I am with Brian on... Like, <laughs> yeah. okay, can we eat? Well, Ted says, well, yo, he lived a long life. He probably saved the world, like, 5,000 times. And then Emmett says, well, you still look good in spandex. <laughs> 
Um, Michael says the rumor is that they killed him because people thought he was gay. And then Brian comments, well, he lived with Galaxy Lad for 30 years. So, you know, the rumors <laughs> were bound to come out. But, uh, you know, my Justin, being the Avenger that he is, he's like, wait, well, if they killed him because he's gay, that's a hate crime. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, now, so to pause for a second, it's kind of interesting to think about this when in the last few years, there's been a lot of uproar about the LGBTQ plus characters being expendable on TV shows and mm-hmm. in movies. Like the straight counterpart will survive, but it seems that after a show has hit its quota with the number of, like, diversity quota or whatever, then they kill off the mm-hmm. the gay characters in a, in a lot of um, instances. So just kind of an interesting little um, little point there. Perhaps that's some of what they were thinking about when they were writing the script. I don't know. But Michael does tell them, like, even though they're making these jokes, he says, well, he was a, because they say, you know, just a comic book character. He says, well, he was a hero to kids who didn't have a hero. And that's definitely how Michael felt. Yeah. Like, you know, there was a hole that he always felt because he didn't have a father in someone that he could look up to and worship in that way. And so for him, Captain Astro filled that void. Absolutely. Because like you just said, he didn't have a father. So this is like his father dying on mm-hmm. him. You know, like, I mean, it hit him hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, he's sitting up reading. He couldn't wait for this edition to come out so he could get the next edition right, yeah. um, of this, you know. So, I mean, his dreams are crushed. I mean, I understand what he's going through. I do. Yeah. And so before we move on to the next scene, there is actually... A scene that was cut. Uh, I saw. I have a copy of the script, and there was a scene that was cut from this. And so we're gonna do a, a dramatization of it. You got your lines it's ready. It's gonna be let me, fun. Yes. <laughs> let me see. Let me get my lines together. Okay. So the scene that got cut is they all leave and they're going out to do different things, and and um, Michael goes out and Justin follows him out, and so. When he goes out, Michael says, well, oh, are you here to make some joke or whatever? And Justin tells him, I was going to say, I know how you feel. I felt the same way when Anna Karenina died. You read Anna Karenina? That was a, you know, you put a lot of inflection in that. <laughs> <laughs> and Justin says, I wasn't allowed to have comics, so I was forced to read good literature. Anyway, I was devastated. For weeks afterward, every time I thought about her, I started to cry. I guess because she was so real, more real in a way than any person. So I'm sorry about Captain Astro for what they did to him. Please accept my sympathies. And so, like I said, that got cut, but I feel like that's really important. They should have kept that because yeah. that's a bonding moment for Justin and Michael. It really is. And so it bonds them, but it also, I feel like it pulls us back into this because we don't know Captain Astro. Right. And so it might be like, dude, you're 30. Why are you this hung up on a comic book character? But this makes it more relatable because yes. I have made no secret about the fact that I get emotionally attached to fictional characters. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, hello, Queer Folk Podcast. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that part. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I can totally understand that empty and crushing feeling when a favorite show ends or a character is killed off or there's a plot point that you don't particularly like or that just feels devastating. Like, I love books, but I freaking love to read. And every time I finish a book, I go through like a mini depression. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I'm just kind of wired weird and I latch on to things. But anyway, I think if they'd have left that scene in there, it would have helped make it a little bit it more... Would've. You know, keep the, keep the audience yeah. a little bit more sympathetic to mm-hmm. what Michael was going through. True, true, but, true. Because at, before reading that with you, you know, I was just like, oh, my God, boy, you are 30 years old. Like, get over it. This is not even a real character. Like, I just said it, mm-hmm. you know. So, but after reading, I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah. You know, like, my heart, I'm a little more sympathetic for him. You yeah. Know? So, you know, for whatever reason, that was cut. But I really think that, I think that that could have been, that could have been left, stayed in there. Yeah, stayed in for there. real. So and let's just I, pretend it's safe. Yeah. And I, I like <laughs> the fact that, you know, Justin... 
was reaching out. You know, like like mm-hmm. we said before, they're they're in the same circle, but I wouldn't just call them really close friends. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, the fact that he was doing that, that was like taking a huge step. So. Yeah. Uh, so I thought about something. Uh, I remember I was watching the first episode of The Politician on Netflix, and you know, to each his own on what you think about that show. But uh, something pretty tragic happens in the f- very first episode of that. And then Ben Platt sings this incredible rendition of a song called River. And I'm not even playing or exaggerating when I tell you that I was messed up for two days. After oh, my God. Like, <laughs> I was just like, screw you, Ron Murphy. <laughs> right. Because, you know, Ron going to mess you up. He okay? messed me up. I was not expecting that. I wasn't ready for it. Oh, my God. So, again, I can totally relate to having a true visceral emotional reaction <laughs> to something very fictional. <laughs> right. And he also, like we said, he's been um, dealing with Captain Astro since he was a child. Right. Know? So, I mean, this is a deep, deep emotional attachment. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Do you get that way sometimes? Absolutely. I told you I cried in Kung Fu Panda 2. <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah, I'm a crybaby. We were almost in tears talking about The Lion King. Yeah. Just two like, hours ago. Yeah. So. so, I mean, yes, I get attached. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. Let's pretend that scene was still actually in here. Um, then we see the next scene is Melanie and Lindsay, and they are with the wedding planner. And let me just tell you, when your wedding planner's accent is that thick, you are about to drop some major coins. You sure are, but boy, <laughs> they flew her in first class from yeah. uh, Gay Perry. Okay. <laughs> she was rolling all those R's, okay, yeah. hitting it. That's going to cost you some major coin. I'm telling you. And so she's showing them the different options. And the one that Lindsay likes the most is, um, well, before we get there, Melanie is kind of like, oh, gosh, this feels extravagant, extreme, just over the top and unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I think some of it's because it's not her personality, but also she's thinking about how much is going to cost. She's a realist. Yeah, she okay. is a realist. Yeah. I said in that scene, like, girl, y'all broke. Well, and mm-hmm. Lindsay's initial thing was, oh, yeah, here in the backyard, we'll have our friends over. Yeah. But now you, this now, is girl, like a full sit down meal. For real. I think she's trying to, you know what I'm saying, rival her sister's wedding. Like, girl, <laughs> take really several seats. Is that seats. really what this is about, Exactly. <laughs> I think so. Okay? Like, God. Yeah. Because, um, baby, y'all ain't got it. You was over there begging Mr. King for some coins <laughs> just a few months back. Yeah. Okay? And so what she wants is the cornucopia, and it's the New Zealand filet mignon and the African lobster. It's $125 a plate, which I guess when I was in college and my friends were starting to get married, I didn't realize how expensive it was to have, like, the food for a wedding, like, the per plate price. But still, and back then, $125, that's a lot. That's still a lot now. Girl, that's a, I'm about to say, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, she's going to want 250 guests. Right. You know, like, oh, no just, less than. Yeah, just small, a small <laughs> gathering. Just yeah. 200. Yeah, that's a small gathering. Yeah. Lindsay, that's a small gathering. 250, yeah. <sighs> so, and, and Mel is not feeling it. And things just start to get tense. Even the wedding planner notices. And she's like, I'm going to leave y'all to talk about this. Right. She's a little uppity anyway. Uh, so, the girls are out at the bar having a drink with Lita. And just want to point out that I do like seeing them out on their own at a bar and having yes. a drink, yes. you know, because a lot of times when we see them with the guys, it's it with seems the a little, guys, yeah, it's, it's, they're at awkward. home doing yeah. the domestic thing. But And so we don't get a whole lot of scenes with just them living their normal life, right. but we are left to assume that they do have their own life. Right. So I appreciate the glimpses that we do get. And that. also, I'm glad that Lita is still around because they would have yeah. just brought Lita in and she was doing the most like she did. You know? <laughs> and then, you know, she left and then she popped back in again. I'm like, girl, why are you here? Yeah. But now we see her again. So now I'm comfortable. I'm used to seeing Lita and I like Lita now, mm-hmm. you know? 
But that first impression, I'm like, girl, you're doing too much, okay? But <laughs> yeah. the fact that she's out, I love that they have friends, you know, right. or a friend that they both can depend on, you know, right. and have a good time with. So um, I love actually seeing it, like you said. Mm-hmm. I do too. But even their drink orders, and this isn't necessarily indicative of anything, but uh, Lindsay has a cocktail, Melanie has a bottle of beer. And so they just have, like, totally different tastes, you mm-hmm. know? So I think it just underlines that. There's nothing wrong with having a cocktail or having a beer, but their tastes are very different. And so their expectations are different. And uh-huh. what they want out of this wedding is totally different. Absolutely. And that has been simmering and it is starting to boil over. Weddings bring out the worst yeah, in I people. I always say weddings and funerals yeah. bring out the worst in people. Absolutely. It's sad, but <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> but you know, it's just boiling right now. It's simmering and it's getting ready to boil on over. And so, because Lindsay thinks that Melanie is cheaping out, or well, Melanie thinks that Lindsay is just like, girl, I live in the real world. We can't afford that. You know, she's just thinking practically. And Melanie calls her a spoiled little rich girl. <laughs> okay, know? I think Mel may have taken it a little too far. Don't oh, attack. Yeah. You don't have to attack just because you disagree in the views. You're a smart and educated woman. She could have, you know, got it together, you know, eloquently. She could have. Yeah. But she went right for the attack. But both of them, they fight dirty. Like, yeah. when they fight, they I mean, gloves off, they fight very mm-hmm. dirty. Now, typically, what we've seen... They fight really dirty, but they come back together. They love hard, yes. Yeah, whether fans think that they should be together or not, they they fight hard, then they love hard. <laughs> Is that a thing? Do fans think they shouldn't be together? I think some people think that they shouldn't, that they're not a good fit. No, I like them. I think I like, you know, opposites <laughs> attract. I, I like them together. Yeah. I mean, they, they, really... they, keep, they keep it interesting no, with they each do, other. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so then Lindsay says to Melanie... Your whole worldview is based on the fact that Santa always brought you everything you wanted. And then Lindsay says, well, no, he didn't. And then she just kind of walks off. I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? Yeah, come on now. <laughs> so they are both, yeah, fighting fighting pretty pretty dirty here. But we knew, we know how Lindsay grew up. And now it's, I think it's, yeah. it's, it's seeping out. It was right. coming. Like, in that moment, I saw her mama. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's who I saw. I was like, okay, Lindsay, we're not going to be like your mom, girl. Yeah, okay. she's still got a little bit of that, yeah, you know, little, lingering around yeah, in her. It's, it's, I'm telling you, it's it's, it's lingering in that there, girl. That wasp is yeah. deep. <laughs> it runs deep. <laughs> it runs deep, girl. It runs deep. Yeah. And I'm with Mel. I can smell it, okay? Yeah. Like, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. Yeah, but meanwhile, Lita has found her a little lady. Mm. She's like, oh, you know, we'll leave marriage for the heroes. Yeah. They can have it. Because yeah. she's like, y'all ain't going to mess up my night. Absolutely not. <laughs> Lita was like, huh. Bye. Yeah. Do y'all because I'm definitely doing me tonight. Okay? Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, doing something tonight, then we see Emmett and George. Emmett's <laughs> in the throes of passion. Almost fell over. I was like, because uh, you know when it when it left off, they were kind of like you know, mm-hmm. oh, it was gonna, like a friend thing. Yeah, a friend thing. And then when we see him again, he all between Emmett's legs. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, all between Emmett's legs, y'all. I'm dying. Emmett is in like ecstasy right now. <laughs> Moaning head all back. You know, he got that long model neck. It was just stretched all out. He was here for it, okay? Yeah. I was like, okay, go on, George. Yeah, and I like them. I like that Emmett is not... Because you would think that Emmett would be super vain and would be, you know, only interested in people who look a certain way or or a certain age or whatever. You would think that about Emmett because he's supposed to be like the Nelly queen or whatever. Right. But Emmett's not that way. He's about substance. Yeah. Sure, he, he appreciates a pretty package. Who wouldn't? But he is about substance. Absolutely. And so I really, I really like them. And even the conversation that he and George have afterwards, um, George says, well, I would think you'd prefer to be with a, a beautiful young guy. And Emmett tells him, you know, that's vain and impersonal. With you, it's different because mm-hmm. there is substance there. It is. 
And um, I mean, we knew that from the moment that they met. You know, Emmett had in his mind that he had met a, a Prince Charming. Mm-hmm. He wasn't going there just for a hookup. He wasn't going there for, you know, a quick payday or whatever the yeah. case. He was looking for something real. He was. Yeah, so, I mean. Yeah. And I think, he, yeah, I 100% think he was initially shocked by how old George was because that probably just didn't fit with what he had in his mind of what his Prince Charming was going to be. But really, what was more off-putting for him was the whole hooker prostitute thing i mean yeah that's offensive yeah. yeah so it wasn't necessarily about george's looks or whatever but he did do the work of getting to know him mm-hmm. and seeing what was underneath all of that and so yeah now now here they are and so but emin has to leave because he needs to get to babylon to meet the to meet the boys and george tells him that he has never gone to a gay bar well he went one time but he felt super uncomfortable super awkward so he immediately turned around and left and Emmett's like oh come on well let's go then and uh, George kind of tries to refuse, but Emmett's like, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Live your life yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, George, come on now. Like, your children are grown. You're divorced. You have a good-looking man on your arm who's yeah. trying to bring you out of your shell. Like, come on. You go for it. You don't have to lock yourself up in your mansion anymore. You don't. You don't. You have way too much money. You know what I'm saying? You have a great heart. And like I said, you have a good-looking guy on your arm. Like, go out and live that life mm-hmm. finally for once. Right. Be your true self. I mean, if you sacrifice, if you lost all of that to be able to be yourself, then okay, then do it. Exactly. <laughs> be yourself. Make you it know? worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then over at Babylon, Brian and Justin are sharing a bump there. And Michael is still grieving. And they're trying to, in their own ways, encourage Michael. And so they're like, have a beer, have a bump, or a, a boy. <laughs> Between, that's what uh, Ted, Brian, and uh, Justin offer him. And he reminds them that he's with Ben. And Justin says, what does that have to do with it? And Michael says, well, that's your arrangement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking of their arrangement, they are trying to locate their next target. But they're having a little bit of trouble finding the right person because, you know, the guys are... I'm glad rather... they have to agree. Yeah. You know, you Justin know? says, like, we all we both have to agree with who we're taking home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I'm happy. Like, they needed that rule. Yeah. Because Brian would have them with any little... <laughs> Brian's taste is not that great. No, it's not, but Justin has impeccable. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love Justin's taste. Oh, so as they're scoping the crowd and they see one who's too tall, one who's too hairy, they even see the three bears. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, then Ted points points out someone because Emmett has arrived and he's got George with him, and then they're like, "Oh, what what about him?" And uh, who's that fossil? And Justin says, oh, he's the crypt keeper. And Michael says, well, I thought he'd be just your type. <laughs> exactly. They're always shading Brian's age. Yeah. Always shade. And fu- cute fun, but they're always shading his age. Yeah. Um. But so Emmett and George come over and Emmett introduces them. And it's, it starts to get, it could I'm, go a little awkward, but yeah. George George handles it like a boss. Girl, he came through. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, don't do it, George. Just so stay where you are. Don't come over here. I know, because they are eat, trifling. <laughs> yeah, they're going to eat you alive. But George came through. He did. And what he says about them, he says, Ted is an entrepreneur. And he thanks him because that's how he and Emmett. Emmett met, mm-hmm. even though uh, Ted was like, don't go see yeah. him. <laughs> uh, and then he says, Michael, you're the devoted friend. And Michael's like, you said that about me? Emmett? Yeah. <laughs> and to Justin, he tells him about how courageous he is. Like, you know, I wish that I could have been that courageous when I was your age. I say that. I've said that a million times. Yeah. I'm glad they actually said it on the show because Justin is hella courageous. Yeah. And then to Brian, he says... You are, uh, from what Emmett tells me, you are basically the love child between James Dean and Ayn Rand. And 
James Dean, of course, a beautiful mm-hmm. uh, actor. Gone Talented. too soon. Yes, yeah, gone too soon. Yeah, uh, but that kind of bad boy vibe, you know, uh, which totally fits Brian. But then Ayn Rand, I didn't know a whole lot about her, but what I do remember about her is um, she had this philosophy, she's known for her philosophy on objectivism. And that is the concept of man as a heroic being with his own happiness as the moral purpose of his life, with productive achievement as his noblest activity and reason as his only absolute. And that sounds just like Brian. Yes, <laughs> it's like, and... yeah, uh, me being happy is my moral purpose in life. Yep. Like, what makes me happy is what matters. <laughs> uh, he cares about productive achievement. So, like, he only celebrates achievement <laughs> and, and things that are productive. And reason is his only absolute, like what makes sense, what's logical, that is the only absolute thing, which is totally Brian, again, yeah. who's a person who tries not to be swayed or led by emotions. So It was spot on descriptions of everyone, but also nice descriptions of everyone. Exactly. And so that tells us a couple things. Like, one, how Emmett feels about each of these guys. Like, mm-hmm. no matter how much they all joke and, and you know, <laughs> harass each other, that's how he feels about his friends. That's what he wanted George to know about each of them. It also tells us how much... George and Emmett actually just talk, right. <laughs> you know, exactly. so where they are talking about Emmett's life and the people in his life. Mm-hmm. What I did notice is so as he's going down the line, they all, you can see they're, cause they're kind of like. It changes their whole yeah, body their language. Their whole demeanor yeah, changes. Uh-huh. And so like, they all kind of get this smile and they're just appreciative of what George is saying about them. But when he gets to Brian, Justin looks like, oh, God, what's he going to say? Girl, I was like, oh, my God. Like, you should have just left and stopped <laughs> it at Justin. Yeah. Like, but then after George says what he says. Justin looks over at Brian again. He's like, oh, that's going to be so good for your ego. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, Brian's like, "What? can I buy you a drink, George? Because he that's like the highest compliment to him. He but Emmett is smart, though, because every time Michael brings somebody to the group, they stay. And it's always some issues, you know. Emmett was like, oh, no, we came here to dance. And they dipped right, up and did their own thing. Right, they their own thing, mm-hmm. yeah. I love, that. I love that, that he drags them out to the dance floor. And he's like, hey, we came here tonight with the mission. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? like, We're going to have fun. We're yeah, going to enjoy it. Exactly. Because, you know, George never gets to experience that, mm-hmm. ever. So, I mean, Emmett is like, hey, I see you guys. I'm going to be over here, though. You know, yeah. I'm doing my thing. This night is about, it's not about me. It's about George, you know. Yeah. And he's making memories and making moments for this man. Something that he will cherish forever, and- even if they don't work. I love that there's no shame in Emmett's game that he's out here with this man who's probably one of the oldest people at Babylon that night. Yeah. You know? But Emmett does not care. <laughs> at all. He, he and Brian are so alike in that. Like, they do not care. what They have a lot of similarities, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, just some are very, uh, like, I mean, very, very far apart in, in their, their actions. And then when they're similar, they're spot on. You know? Yeah. Like, I mean. I think Brian has an awareness of what people think think but he uh decides to do it anyway but Emmett like it didn't even register to him yeah no because he's gonna do <laughs> his like, thing I don't care yeah. well he's been judged his whole like you know he, right he's probably been out his whole life like he, that story he told about his aunt yeah. and all this and that back home coming from Mississippi where he's from I bet it was a very very tough life mm-hmm. so he had to like you know build up this this armor mm-hmm. so I mean he doesn't give a damn what no one has to say because he's right. always gonna be Emmett and he's gonna do what makes Emmett feels good and feels happy you yeah know? and that's the ex- the exact kind of person that George needs right now mm-hmm. I think a person who can model that and and walk him through that mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a great that's a great fit for him <laughs> Justin says, he looks out there on the dance floor and sees him and says, do you think they're actually doing it? And Brian <laughs> says, you got a problem with older men, kid? Yep. <laughs> uh, but so as Brian and Justin are cuddled up at the bar, Justin points out a dirty blonde in a tank top. And Brian says, how do you always know what I like? And Justin says, 
You older men always go for the same type. They need to let go of these old men jokes. <laughs> these old men jokes, yeah. okay? Uh, 30 is not old, y'all. It's not old. Okay, it is not yeah. old. Uh, Brian kind of looks offended, but anyway, Justin goes to get him. And then we see them under the familiar blue light in the in the bedroom of the loft. That infamous light. <laughs> yeah. And they've got a interesting little three-way going there. <laughs> yeah, but I will say again, like I always say, like, this is, I don't know why they do this. When they're, when it's just the two of them, it's so passionate. Like you can see like the love uh-huh. or the or the light or the happiness in their eyes. When they're with these tricks, it's just like I'm just pumping and be pumping. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, or or uh, you yeah, want them. Yeah, some kind of physical relief. But yeah. other than that, I've, because even here, they're talking to each other. Like Brian says, you have great taste. And the trick says, thanks. And Brian says, not you. Him. Yeah. Now, actually, in the script, he says you have. He comments on his uh, behind, mm. and but he talks about Justin's behind, not not taste. Uh. But anyway, uh, but yeah, the point is they are communicating with each other. Yeah, you know, and this other person just happens to be in the mix. Yeah, that's it. Like, I mean, that is it. So I'm thinking, like, why is this a competition thing? As in, <laughs> can you get him, or do I have to get him? You know, like, I mean, yeah. like, what is it? Because the sex between just the two of them is fire. I live for those scenes. Those scenes are everything. But then when they add that third in, you would think it'd be like extra hot. Mm-hmm. And it just, I don't know, to me, yeah. it just doesn't meet that same level. It doesn't. And I think that for them, it's very, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's very clear for them that uh, even if they don't put words to it, they know the difference between when it's just the two of them and when it's somebody else. Right. But um, I guess, you know, Justin is 18. And so this is part of him just experience yeah uh-huh. his freedom and just like I, yeah i get to have the guy that i live at home with but then i get to have all these other guys too if i want and then brian is just used to that that's been his life since he was very young right you know uh his first encounter was at 14 and we can assume that as much as he could get away with it uh he's been pretty much mm-hmm. you know sexually active since that point and so he's always allowed himself just kind of whatever pursuit he wanted um but yeah i think that they definitely recognize yeah. it's different when it's just the two of them. Yeah, it, it is. Like, it's yeah. definitely And they've different. even found a way to still connect with each other while they're tricking. It, that's the funny part right yeah. there. Like, uh-huh. I would have stopped. I, you're not even talking to me? Yeah. And then you're just going to push my head back down? Well, I mean, well, maybe. Maybe I'll finish. <laughs> I will finish, but I'm not coming back. I'm yeah. not coming back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they are not at all interested in a polyamorous relationship. No. Like, where there's some third or whatever. They're not at all interested in that. It's just, it's, you know, we have a relationship and then you're just here for the night to do this right here. Mm-hmm. Anywho, so then we see Michael and he's telling Ben about the day he first discovered Captain Astro and he swiped a comic book from the store and took it home and read it. And he stayed up to finish it and got through it. And he read about, you know, all this great stuff about Captain Astro and about his code and how he never will never lie, cheat or steal. And then. Michael was like, oh, I stole this comic book. So he, he took it back, and then the guy paid for it and gave it back to him. And so this is what we said earlier, but in the absence of a father figure, Michael was learning these life lessons through Captain, Captain Astro. Astro. Yeah. I mean, literally. Mm-hmm. I mean, he set those moral boundaries for Michael. You yeah. Know, that, that Debbie just couldn't do because, I mean, that's just his mom. He needed somebody else to connect with, and that's what he found in Captain Astro. Exactly. Know? And it was and, his escape. Yeah, and, it, and also, you remember when he was speaking to Ben's class and he was telling him about how this was the person that to me I could relate to, you yep. know, 
because he he says here that you know he wasn't like Superman or Batman, so he wasn't the most popular. He was kind of on the fringes, kind of like a cult classic right. sort of character, you know. And so, some who wasn't the most popular, and so definitely Michael could could relate to that. Um, yeah, but as he's talking to Ben, Ben doesn't make fun of him. He doesn't roll his eyes. He just listens and he gets that. Okay, I understand. Like he knew that from the beginning. Exactly. How much of a part of Michael's life? Yep. Well, for one, he met him in his business, right? Which is a comic store. (laughs) Yeah. And he asked him about comics, and Michael knew so knew everything. Yeah, Yeah. everything. So he he knows this is a passion of Michael's for Mm -hmm. sure. And that's one thing I like about Ben is that he is so compassionate. It's just for people in general, you Mm -hmm. know. And the fact that he was there for Michael because, I mean, Brian was making fun of him. You know, Ted was making – these are people who are with him on a a daily. Yeah. And, you know, he's just now getting to know Ben and reconnecting with Ben. And Ben literally sat there and listened to him, tried to make him laugh a little bit, but then also was empathetic and sympathetic to his needs. So Yeah. You know, we have a saying in my family. We say we give each other grace and space to be who you are and figure out <laughs> who you uh-huh. are, you know? And that is definitely what what Ben does with people. He gives them a lot of grace and he gives them space to kind of, hey, that's your thing. Do your thing or whatever, you know, no judgment and no, right. you know, no condemnation there. So yeah, that's a, Ben is a really good, just like Emmett is really good for George right now. Ben is really good for Michael right now. Um, and I just want to say thank you, Ben, for being here in this moment. Because if you didn't, poor Justin, Brian, I mean, poor Justin and Brian, because Michael would have been all over in that loft, okay? <laughs> Crying, yeah. laid up on the couch, he not showered for three days, <laughs> didn't eat. Yeah, Justin I mean, would have moved back into Jennifer's house, not no, even Debbie's. He's like, real. no, I don't want to see him at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. So thank God for you, Ben, because I'm telling you, Justin would have been vomitous. He would have been yeah. gone, okay? <laughs> you know what? This is too much for me. Yeah. So back at Melanie and Lindsay's house, the next morning, things are still real passive aggressive <laughs> and petty over there. <laughs> Ooh, that petty uh, LaBelle over there, girl. Melanie is hogging the arts and leisure section of the paper, which she has never read in all the years that Lindsay has known her. Girl, Lindsay came to the living room with a whole tray of breakfast <laughs> for one. For one, yeah. Okay. You did all that cooking for one. for one. I mean, I'm smelling the bacon, I'm smelling the sausage, the pancakes, or whatever, and you come out the kitchen with one? Yeah. Oh, we got issues. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. That's the vibe over at, mm-hmm. at the girls' house this morning. Uh, but so the phone rings and uh, Lindsay answers it. Well, first Melanie answers it, I guess. And then Lindsay uses that opportunity to steal the paper. But the phone's for Lindsay, so she gives it to her. Melanie steals the paper back. And she's talking and it becomes clear to us that she's talking to her mom. Mm. Uh, and we find out that her mom is uh, refusing to let Lindsay have the wedding dress that her granny Faye had left to her. And it's clear she says something about it not being real because Lindsay said her wedding is real, real to me. Yeah. And, and she keeps saying that. I mean, listen, I know that's your mom, so I'm not saying like curse out or anything like that, but you have to stand up to her. Yeah. You are 30 now. You or know? just, yeah. Just yeah. like, you know, or just either cut her off mm-hmm. or let her know, mom, I love you to death, but I will not be disrespected. Right. Because you know? it's not good for me. Exactly. Yeah, Let's make a choice right now. Either you can accept me for who I am, me and my wife or fiance and soon to be wife. Or we can just part ways now. Yeah. You know, like, it's going to be hurtful, but I have to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, yeah, I just want her to terrible. set those clear boundaries. She's worse than Joan. <laughs> uh, she's, uh, well, Nancy Peterson, uh, Lindsay's mom, tells her that Granny Faye would die if she knew that Lindsay, uh, you know, that a lesbian was going to have a lesbian wedding in her uh, in her dress. It's like, ugh. I'm like, girl. Nancy, hush, go away. Please. <laughs> yeah. 
So even though they were fighting, as Melanie is listening to Lindsay, just watching her reaction and watching her face just kind of crumble at this news, it softens her a bit. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And this is why I say I think they deserve to be together. Because they were like, I mean, a fool how, like, you know, passive aggressive. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, yeah. for real. Like, you know, it was a little passive aggressive, but they were for real. Like, they yeah. were not giving in at all. But she could just see the pain that came over, um, that came over Lindsay's face. And it made her change her whole tune. And she was just so in protective mode. You know, oh, baby, what can I do? And that type. Yeah. You know, and it was, it was so sweet to see that. Like, I just love them together. I, I think for Nancy, this has nothing to do with Granny Faye. Because as Melanie points out, she is dead already. So mm-hmm. uh, this is about Nancy, I think, trying to pull out the last stop or just throw out random crap. To try to get Lindsay not to go through. It's with the this banana wedding. peel. She want her to. She's all, just trying to sabotage everything. Yeah, that's all it is. Like you said, she's pulling out every little card. I'm not going to pay can. any money. She yeah. keeps saying it's not real. She refuses to let her have the dress. Like anything she can do to try to get Lindsay to say, you know what, forget it. Yeah, a- absolutely. So you know what, but f you, Nancy. Like, yeah, I don't need you. You're not going to pay for the wedding. I'm still going to have my expensive ass wedding. Okay, hundred twenty five. <laughs> Matter of fact, let's make it one fifty a plate. Okay, for real. Uh, like I don't need you. Okay, my sister needs you. I don't need you. <laughs> so then we see Debbie taking out the trash at the diner, and she goes to throw it in the dumpster, and she finds something in there. There is a dead body. Oh. And let me just say, she handled that so much better than my dramatic and scary self would have. Because I would have been screaming. Yes, I had a heart attack. Like. For one, I would have slammed the lid back down. Yeah. Okay. I would have been screaming. She stood there and, you know, she was hurt and she was thinking about what needs to be done. You know, she's a very compassionate woman. But I would have been, ah! I mean, I would have been Mariah The only Carey. thing that I probably would have done was like wipe my fingerprints off the. That part. <laughs> okay. I don't want I don't want to be judged at I, all. No, because I don't want to be, yeah, Mm-mm. even considered. But uh, yeah, she handled that much better than, than I would have. Uh, so then the cops arrive on the scene to investigate, and there's a detective there, and he's questioning Debbie and asking her what she what she knows. And Justin is also there and kind of nosing around, going to see check out the guy and look at the at the damage. And uh, she says, "Sunshine, don't look." And the detective picks up on the nickname, and even in her shock, Debbie registers. Yeah, yeah, she registers that, and she says, "Yeah, that's what I call him." You got a problem with that? He asks her if she if she knows him, and she doesn't know him by name, but she knows his face and she knows his order. And I think that tells us a little bit about how much attention Debbie pays right. to the people who come into the diner. You know, she knows that a lot of them. Um, I don't know. She just is very observant of people who come no, there. She, she really is. immersed herself in the community there. Mm-hmm. And also, Debbie needed to redeem herself after last episode. So she sure <laughs> did. But you know what? What I can say, I think she redeemed herself in this in this moment right here because. Yeah. I love the fact that she's a straight woman standing up for the gay community. She yeah. was going up against a cop, okay, mm-hmm. a detective at that, you know, and she was standing strong and she did not back down not one moment at yeah. all. She stood 10 toes down on what she said. That uh, you know, Like, I mean, Debbie, she had some re- um, redeeming qualities in that moment. I ain't yeah. going to say she fully did because she acted her ass last week. She did. She acted her ass last week. So I'm not going to say a she full redemption. She got at least three more episodes. Yeah. To get, <laughs> to not get a full together. redemption. But she got some redeeming points. Yeah. And so the detective's like, well, Debbie didn't know his name. So he turns around and he says, we got a Jane Doe. Well, Debbie isn't going to let that slide. Hell no. And honestly, um, you know, and nor should she. 
No, she shouldn't. Yeah. This is a professional, okay? You're supposed to serve and protect everyone, not make little low cheap shop at cheap shot ass jokes okay yeah for one period someone is dead here and you're making jokes well like, that's what she says the boy in the trash was someone's son mm-hmm. and then he says well i'm sure he made his mother proud again yeah and then she says oh you're a, a homophobic prick and he's like corvath is the name homophobic slurs are the game Ugh. uh yeah like he makes he's not gonna apologize he doesn't care what she thinks it's clear that he He's just there to, like, fill out his paperwork and move on. Like, he really is a He's concern. not going to do any investigations mm-hmm. on this yeah. at all, period. He's not telling anybody, hey, y'all be safe. Keep an eye out. Let us know if you find anything. He like, didn't give no I cards. I don't think he really nothing. cares he if this remains a cold case. Like but that's why she let him know. Uh, that's why, Debbie, she said something. Just because you find a, a, a person here on Liberty Avenue doesn't mean that they're they're homosexual. You right, know? yeah. Like, or even if they are, doesn't mean you can just throw them away and not care. Exactly. But she wants them to treat everybody the fucking same. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. come on now. His blood is the same as yours. It's red. Yeah. Okay, like, get it together. Well, by this time, the crowd is growing, and the rest of the gang arrives, and they're they're all kind of stepping around to take a look, and then Brian says, well, what'd you feed him, Deb? And detective the detective asks, well, Horvath asks any of them if they know the guy, and Justin says that he does. He said he, he danced with him at uh, Babylon, but also in the script, it says... Well, Justin says, I danced with him at Babylon, and then we went to the back room. Justin took him to the back room. Uh, and so that part got, got well, cut. Well, thank God, because then he would have <laughs> yeah. been a suspect. I know. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably one reason why they, why they Yeah, that <laughs> should have been definitely good cut, guys. Definitely yeah. good cut, because Justin can't um, even go through that. But what I do like about, uh, well. How he, honest he is? Well, no. Okay, well, I'll just plug it here, and then we'll talk about it later. I think it makes Justin more connected with him mm-hmm. if he was like, yes, okay, we and we also had this encounter in the back room. Right. It, it connects them a little bit more. And I'll tell you why I bring that up later, if I don't forget. Oh, I will remind you. Uh, So, anyway, Brian says, I'm hungry, let's go eat. And it's easy to kind of go meta with this, a queer person thrown in the trash, discarded and discarded and disregarded by, by society. It's kind of easy to see the larger context here. Um, mm-hmm. But we're not beat over the head with it. But yeah, so as we were watching this scene, you said something you were, w- when they first found the the body, you said, they deal with that kind of issue on here? Yeah, girl, <laughs> I was blown away. Like, you know, for the most part, I mean, the most we've seen traumatizing like that was, you know, the incident with Justin. Yeah, you know? it's been just things that happen in the lives of our, of our people, right. of, our, of our game. But I mean, to actually see, you know, them kill someone and then toss them in a dumpster. I mean, like, I was like, wow, this show is hitting. Like, it's, it's like, I mean, touching on so yeah, this, many yeah, different Yeah, this is speaking lines. to a, yeah. larger, a larger issue. Of Absolutely. A bigger, yeah, and, taking part in a bigger conversation. And this is what I go back and say, like, this show right here was way ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, mm-hmm. I'm glad they're doing a reboot, but I so wish, so wish that this show is was premiering now with these characters here, with these actors. With the same, um, with, um, with the same storylines, because it is everything. Yeah, I mean, it it really is. Like they were definitely ahead of their time, trailblazers for sure. I cannot believe I have this conversation with Avery on Instagram. I cannot believe that they were not winning awards like left and right for, for this show, like for the acting, for the script. Sometimes, like I just a huge injustice. Yeah, yeah. you heard me today. I said, um, boy, Michael is fan. Michael was delivering those that sadness tonight. Like, yeah, I mean, he, uh-huh. he was killing that. How Sparks sold Michael Novotny, whether you like or love or hate Michael Novotny, 
it's all because of the way Michael, uh, how Sparks portrayed him. You did that. Okay. (laughs) You, You did that for sure. Uh, so, okay, over in the diner, uh, Brian says, did you see what he was wearing? And his face kind of looks somber, but you just never know with Brian. And he says, did you see what he was wearing? And then Emmett says, you know, he was wearing a black tank top and some leather pants. And Brian says, well, I think whoever killed him was making a fashion statement. And then Ted <laughs> gives his story about how it was a passion, you know, crime of passion. And, yeah, Emmett wonders... Well, do you think whoever killed him, do you think they had sex first? Him is a freak. (laughs) That's what's important to him. Yeah. Uh, So Debbie overhears this and she's very disappointed in all of them. But then she hears Michael and he is getting signatures, you know, trying to get justice. He says, I want to make sure that they know that every life matters, no matter if they're gay or straight. And she's like, yes, my son, he knows what it's all about. Like, this is important. Well, he gets over to her. And she sees it as a petition to bring back Captain Astro. <laughs> Girl, I feel the hell out. Yeah. That's what I'm talking Michael is doing the most, okay? <laughs> Debbie already popped your ass before for even bringing him up, you know, yeah. like he was a real person and scaring her. Now you over here, the day that they found a person in the dumpster, mm-hmm. you over here getting them to sign petitions yeah. for Captain Astro and not the actual life that was that, that's gone? Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, god. and she lets them all have it. And then and she makes some really good points. And she says, uh, she says, I can't believe like this is how little you care how little you think about his life or about your own to where you just joke and you just kind of move on. And you know, to be honest, their reactions are a little surprising to me. Now, true they did not know him, but it seems like on a human level, you'd at least be like, dang, that's messed up. You know, I mean, well, I feel like they they did do that minus Brian. You know, saying when he came there, he was like, "Oh, okay, let's eat." You know, Mm -hmm. but I feel like they they kind of did do that. But like you said, they don't know the guy, and then also, no one wants to focus on the negative because I'm sure that probably happens a lot. Exactly. Okay, so yeah, I wouldn't expect, I don't expect them to truly mourn because really, the fact is, people die every day, right? Um, And if you don't know them, then in large part, your life just kind of keeps going. I mean, not to be insensitive about it or to justify any insensitive actions, but, and now, yeah, you can say the difference is, well, this happened in their, their backyard. Uh, and so, you know, you think, well, they sh- maybe they should be wondering, is this, is this a hate crime? Is this going to repeat or whatever? But I do think another part of it is kind of like what you said, and we just kind of have a tendency to become desensitized. Right. right. Yeah. It's... And I think maybe this kind of hints at that, you know, mm-hmm. um, the first time something like that happens, you're kind of like, your, your oh my god! But yes. yeah, and then just like it happens, you again. start to see more, and then you're yeah. just like super aware of how horrible humanity can be mm-hmm. at times. And no one wants to focus on the negative, you know. Yeah. You saw it, you know. You want to get it out of your mind as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. so you know it doesn't ruin you. Because you yeah. know, if you harbor onto those feelings, I mean, it literally affects you. So I right. think, like, they're like, we don't know him. We're sorry, but let's but, next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I think another, it is part of. The other thing that you say, you know, another day, another dollar, another body in the dumpster. Right. Unfortunately. Oh, that's you know, terrible. That's kinda, <laughs> but I know, yeah. but that's terrible, but that's just kind of, you know. But um, Debbie tells Michael that he should be ashamed for caring more about a fictional character than a real person. And I get her argument, but I don't think that those things have to be mutually exclusive. They don't. And if she knows her son so well, she should know that this a fictional character is like someone so real yeah. to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, girl, he's been um, watching and reading this man since he was seven. So that's 23 years of him literally just 
I mean, being attached to this character. Yeah. In his, in your house right now, he had a full, a full lifestyle. <laughs> I mean, his bed sheets are still yeah. like Captain Ashley. You know, like yeah. a or full like those, maybe they're the motorcycles, but he's still got like action figures and all that in there. Yeah. He has given his whole life over to trying to make this comic book shop work. Like, Absolutely. you know how important this stuff is to him, Debbie. So she needs to have a little more yeah. compassion for him. Yeah. And so, I mean, I get what she's saying. And so, yeah, maybe, hey, Michael, time and place. True. <laughs> you know, maybe, but. But also, I don't think Debbie's, I, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think you can do both of those things. You can mm-hmm. manage both of those feelings and emotions at the same time. Uh, so then we see Melanie and Lindsay, and they are pulling a B&E, breaking and entering in, at Lindsay's parents' house. And I love this rebel side of Lindsay. Like, she is going to wear that dang dress. <laughs> she was going to go steal it. That was going to yeah. cause an uproar in the family right yeah. there. But, you know, she don't give a damn. This dress was mine. She said, I can have it. It was left in the wheel for me. I'm taking what's mine. Right. Okay, you gonna pay what you owe. And so she goes to find the old trunk that Granny Faye always kept the dress in, but Nancy Peterson is smarter than that. And so she, <laughs> she took Nancy that was like, her. uh-uh, she got the key. I know I'm going out of town this weekend. Yeah. She got the key. Oh, no. She took that up out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so they don't find the dress, but what they do find is a stack of letters. Girl. And they open these letters, and these date back to the 40s. So it's during the Civil War. I mean, um, Civil War, <laughs> during World War II. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, during World War II. And so, yeah, Granny Faye had some uh, some secrets. So. I knew it from just the... <laughs> I, I knew it. Okay, y'all, for one, Nancy don't even know who her mama was, because um, I'm lo- low-key, Granny Faye was a little freak. Yeah, okay? she had a little Miss Vera on yeah, the side. Yeah, she had yeah. a little Miss Vera on the side while they had, you know... Papa Faye, I don't know, we don't know what Grandpa Faye is, uh, what his name is, but um, while he was up there fighting, and, and Vera, husband, Harry out there fighting, you know, you know they got yeah. a little close, got a little warm. Yeah. Okay. And I know some people might look at this and say, oh, this is too convenient or too contrived. I don't watch shows like that. Like, I don't look for things like that. I don't, you know, harp on things like that. That doesn't bother me. I don't care. But also, I know that this kind of stuff happens, where you find out later in life some relative that this actually happened. Like, I had that with an uncle of mine. And it still has not been proven to this day, but he lived in the gay neighborhood of this very city, oh. and he um, was living with his old college roommate. Oh, and, on. you know, I'm a little bitty great, because he passed away many years ago, and so I was still really, really young when he, I mean, like five, or, you know, well, oh, a little older than that, when mm. he passed away, but now then the secrets are starting yeah. to come out, and so... Even though some people might say this is too convenient or too, you know, like, oh, of course she happened to be a lesbian. Like, no, this stuff really happens. And also what I love about it is that she couldn't even speak openly about it. It was happening in the 40s, you know? Oh, yeah. No, you don't speak about no. that in the 40s. She was yeah. a woman who was brave enough in the 40s. She, If she was caught, she risked everything. Right. I mean, we have a man in, in 99, 2000 that's killed and in the dumpster for being gay. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Well, you, Uncle Vic just peeing in the restroom with yeah. facing charges. A- absolutely. You know, so could you ago. imagine what it would have been for Faye and, and Vera mm-hmm. in the 40s mm-hmm. coming out or being caught out? You know, like, so, I mean, I love that. I love that they actually included this into the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we see Emmett and George together and they are making plans for the night. And Emmett finds a fancy little invitation there, and it turns out it is to the opera and at Shickle Hall, which because Mr. Shickle is one of the founders of this, and um, George is telling Emmett that he, he's like, no, we're not going to go to that. You can take the ticket if you want, but I'm not going. I haven't been since I came out. And Emmett says, well, maybe it's 
time you go. And he's like, no, I wouldn't be comfortable. And my ex-wife, Virginia, she guards the door. And so he's just, he's too um, too in his head about it and too shy and too scared to well, go through with it. he never had anybody in his corner to fight right. for him. Mm-hmm. He had people tearing him down, never building him up. So, yeah. I mean, he's going to be a little combative at first. And it's it's another thing that he lost in... In their divorce or in his coming out. So he lost his wife and he lost his kids, but he also lost this, another right, passion of right. his, you know, because she's like, this is mine. I'm going to be the keeper of the keys for Shickle Hall or whatever. But so Emmett's like, no, let's let's go do it. And George is like, no, I don't want to talk about this. It's a dead end. And Emmett kind of backs off, but he does tell him, well, you know what I would say if someone tried to stop me from doing what I love. And he goes back to that story. And this is, uh, goes back to they're always talking. Mm-hmm. And George listens. And he, you know, he said, you know what I would say? And what? Fuck them all. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Fuck them all. Because you got to do what's best for you, not nobody else. You're not going to let somebody keep you in the box at all. Mm-hmm. Nope. Do you, boo. Do you. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, so over at Michael's shop, Brian is giving a eulogy. And it turns out it's the same eulogy that the priest gave at his, at his father's funeral. So Michael kind of brushes off what Brian is attempting to do here. But in Brian's own way, he is being sincere because I think what he's showing is that you don't necessarily have to be able to empathize with a person to kind of understand or acknowledge their grief or what they're going through. And even though Brian couldn't care less about Captain Astro, he sees that Michael does care. And this also goes back to that thing about objectivism. Whatever makes you happy is what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. And so... Captain Astro is what made you happy. So, of course, you're going to you're gonna mourn him, of course. Uh, and so, in his own... And he comes back around because he went from making a huge joke about it to he's come back around because this is his friend. And he brings up the story from when they were in the eighth grade and Michael started the, the <laughs> fan club and Brian was the only member. And he had these handmade shirts. And so, he is just telling him, like, I know this is important to you. Right. I know I kind of blew it off before, but I do know it's important to you. And that was a sweet moment mm-hmm. because we don't really get, there was no gimmicks in that. I feel no, like like yeah. Brian was so sincere. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was being the best friend that he is, yeah. you know, and it was loving. It was caring. It was funny. It was sweet. I mean, because I mean, Brian still has to be Brian. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He said to be Brian. But this was the softest. I feel like we've seen him. Even when Justin was in the hospital, he wasn't this damn soft. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's had his he's had moments of of being of being oh, soft. Oh Lord, we know how you are with Brian. <laughs> Brian ain't soft, girl. Okay. He has had. Mo- oh, do I need to go back and show you those first couple episodes of season two? No, because I have the, the DVDs right here, I and know. I ain't got no problem with popping them in. And you have my commentary too, because I was in love with him in the first episode. So yes, I. I so he has been soft before. Yes, but yes. Uh, and I think even what he says about, you know, the priest and his father, he said he's still doing the right thing. That's what it was like. Mm-hmm. Even though the priest had no emotional tie to my father, he was doing the right thing in the right moment. And so that's what Brian is offering. Right. Offering you the right thing in the right moment. Whether or not it, I have any emotional connection to it or not. Right. I care about you. Um, I just love the embrace. Because mm-hmm. no one has embraced Michael yet. You know, like yeah. when, when someone's die when someone dies. Everybody always gives you hugs and, you know, real touchy. You know, it's a transference of energy, you know? Yeah. The fact that I love that he touched him and made him feel comfortable, made him feel loved, mm-hmm. you know, and just safe. Well, in that scene that they deleted, but I reinserted, Justin does give him a hug. So oh, that would have happened earlier. It, so Justin it. did give him a hug earlier. We just didn't get to see it on screen. So while this is going on, 
uh, Michael does bring up the fact that Debbie, he says, do you think my mom was right that I care more about a fictional character than I care about a, a real person? And Brian says, so what if you do? And then Michael says, well, some people may say my priorities are messed up. And then Brian says, some people don't know anything. And he's like, how upset are you supposed to get? You know, Captain Astro has been part of your life for many years. You don't mm-hmm. even know this guy. So that's what we were saying earlier. And that kind of explains, because Brian does seem very, very callous and dismissive about it this whole time. But this is but this is how Brian thinks about it. It's like, I don't know him. And so why would I obsess and fixate? Right, him? right. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Yeah. Sorry. My mm-hmm. heart goes out, but. Okay. Yeah. Next. But with this, Michael did have a very real connection. Even if even if it was fictional, he had a very real connection mm-hmm. with what Captain Astro represented for him. And so he tells him, "Mourn all you want." And you know that's just encouragement to me because of all the things that I connect to, one of them is queer as folk, and I would love to see a reunion campaign. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a, re- a reunion, you know. And so, uh, thank you, Brian, for validating <laughs> me and my efforts. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Know? I can petition all I want. <laughs> so, anyway, back in the attic, Melanie and Lindsay are still reading Faye's letters. And in this scene, Lindsay is now wearing a garment that presumably belonged to her grandmother. And I like that because it's like her feeling like she's in her shoes or in her skin or connected her to her yeah. her granny Faye in a way that she never was before. No, those letters definitely brought a different side out in her. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm pretty sure she was probably close to her, hence why she yeah. left her to dress. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Lindsay was definitely the black sheep. She, I'm sure she yeah. didn't do, you know, she didn't follow that exact rules like her mom. You know what I'm saying? Like that role, like her sister and her mom and her father, whatever the case. So um, yeah. Grandma Faye picked up on it. Well, and also if you do the math, because, well, math is a little sketchy on shows, but if... Granny Faye died in 92, which we find out later. Lindsay would have been college age at that point. Right. And she was already out here with girlfriends at that point. Yeah, Granny Faye might have might known a little something. <laughs> Granny Faye was on to something. She, she, she knew. But yes, um, her in that garment, it, it connected them. Mm-hmm. You know, it made them as one. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I love that scene. And I love Lindsay getting to have that because everybody, everybody else in her family has pretty much disregarded her whole relationship with Melanie and her whole lifestyle. And they just think, oh, you know, she'll get over that soon enough. But here was a person in her family who could relate to her. And even Mm -hmm. though she's gone, it's kind of like through these letters, it's like she's still with her, you know? She's still having that connection to at least one person. I wonder if Nancy ever read those letters. I mean, she clearly she went in the box and took the dress. Mm -hmm. So she's seen the letters. Did she read them? I don't, you know, I don't know. Surely she didn't. Um, but I'm surprised she did because she seems like she would be nosy to me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> she just she just gives me nosy vibes. <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe she maybe she didn't. Uh, because well, Granny Faye knew that stuff was up there, and so maybe because it's been up there for so long. Because Lindsay says Granny Faye would always put it back in this trunk. You know, she let me try on her dress or see her dress. She'd always put it back in right. this trunk, and so that trunk has been there for so long. Maybe yeah, Nancy. Nobody just, went through it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Needs to just like put it out of her mind, uh, and when she went up there to get that dress and hide it to that be petty, just she just yeah, <laughs> you know, she was just going for the dress. I don't know. I bet I'm gonna say she did not read them, and I'm gonna say that Lindsay does not show them to her because I think I think it's less about Lindsay not wanting to ruin Nancy's the image, image uh-huh. of Granny Faye, and more about I don't want you to taint this. I have right. something that's a special connection to me. between me and her, and mm-hmm. you're not gonna get your ugly paws and fingerprints on mm-hmm. this. Yeah, no, I 100 percent agree with that whole statement. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, they're talking uh, they're, as they're reading these letters. 
Melanie tells her, you know, it was a different time then. Uh, this is kind of what we were saying earlier about how hard it would have been for a lesbian couple, you know, to to make it back then. It would have been impossible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, unfortunately. Um, and also, women didn't even have any rights back exactly, then. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I mean, this was in the 40s. Uh, and so it was super hard for a woman to make a life on her own. I mean, women couldn't even get a bank account until right. the 60s. They could not sign on their own mortgage until the 70s. <laughs> like, I know. So, yeah. yeah with, you had to have your daddy or your husband on the mortgage until, until like, 74 or something like that. But, Which um, is ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. But I'm not going to get into my woman power lecture right now because we got many more scenes to go. And so <laughs> I will just save that lecture for another time. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, you know I'll go. But yeah. Keep going, oh keep yeah. Going. I will. When it's time to go, we gonna go. <laughs> uh, so Emmett and George decided to go to the opera. Good on you, George, and good on you, Emmett. For, I was like, good on Emmett. Yeah. Drag him out mm-hmm. for for doing that. For just saying, nope. If you want to do it, we're doing it. And what I love about Emmett too, Emmett is not like. I mean, he's not a bad guy, but he also is not classy. Okay, like. He is just not, when you think of, like, you know, a super classy guy, I don't think of him. You know, I just, I don't And that not. he's not fake is what you're saying. Like, he's not so wrapped up in trying to present this certain image. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, where he's, he's like, no, I'm just going to be real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what I love. Like, it doesn't matter where he is. You know, like, he's in, um, what's the name of the hall? Uh, Shickle Hall. Shickle. He's in Shickle Hall. And, uh, I mean, everyone's dressed to the nine. But the way he's describing the characters yeah. of the opera it's just so funny, you know, uh-huh. and it's, it's not. So He's going to be Emmett wherever he, he is. is going, Emmett yeah. is going to Emmett. Okay. Yeah. Emmett is going to be Emmett no matter where he is. And I absolutely love that. So as they are going to get some champagne, I guess it's intermission, Ted spots them. Now, remember earlier, Ted mentioned that he had an extra ticket and, he, and Emmett turned him down. He's like, no, that's not my thing. But it's George's thing. And since George is important to him and this will be important for George. Emmett is like, I'm on board. We're, we're doing it. We're going. <laughs> I originally thought Ted was going to be upset mm-hmm. that he saw him there. Like, oh, you, you. <laughs> but no, it all worked out. Yeah. And uh, poor Ted is in the nosebleed section. And <laughs> Emmett's like, oh, well, we're in the founder's box. <laughs> he didn't have to say that. that. That's some shit like Justin well, or, or would have said. telling them where he's sitting. I mean. <laughs> okay. Just rub it in my face, babe. Just rub it in my face. Yeah. Okay. Well, while they're having their champagne, Virginia, uh, who's George's ex-wife, comes over, and um, it is not lost on her that he is there with men. No, it is not. And when I say she was hitting him up with all those questions, or whatever, whatever the case, and he couldn't really answer them, I'm so happy Emmett stepped yeah. up to the back. Okay, uh-huh. he stepped up to the plate, and he read her for filth. Yeah, the library she, was open. She showed up with claws out and she says, what made you come out of your self-imposed exile? And uh, Emma says, I did. Uh, <laughs> I, I, he came through. I was here for it. Yeah. I damn near jumped up and started clapping. Yeah, I, was like, I mean, but she was like, oh, you know, she thinks she can just kind of run over Emma. And she's like, like a book. Uh, who are you? His, How'd you meet? Are you his hairdresser, his decorator, his poodle groomer? Was, and yeah, no, bitch. We met online. Matter of fact, I was jerking it. And you know what? I'm that demon penis online, okay? And that's what he wanted. And guess what? He got it. And he got it right before we came here, too, okay? I went, he paying you? No, he ain't going to pay me nothing, baby. You know what? Because we made a connection. And you know what? And I'm with him because that mouth game, okay? That mouth game is what's up. And trust me, he did not get that from you. That's yeah. why he is with me. He read her ass. I was like, read it like a book, baby. Let me read um, chapter two. 
Let me read chapter two. Come yeah. through. So, see, Emmett knows how to deal with people like her because I think he would have toned it down if he thought that it would have, um, that if it would have hurt or offended George. He would have toned it down, but he was like, no, you have had your foot on his neck for way too long. Exactly. You have had the upper hand for way too long, yep. so it's going to have to be somebody who can beat you at your own game. Like She came over there being nasty to them. She did. And so it was like, oh, I can I can play down and dirty. <laughs> he yeah. read her ass so hard, it made Ted feel uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Like, he, read, he ran her through, down and through the trenches, yeah. okay? Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I was so proud. But Emmett is like, you're not you're not going to come for me, you're not going to come for George either. Like, he doesn't want George to have to hide or cower or hide any part of who him, who he is. And so he's like, no, nah, I got you. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Until you're proud and you're ready to stand up, I got you, okay? Yeah. And that's what he did. That's the kind of partner you need in your life. I'm telling you. <laughs> I am telling you. Yeah. But yes, beautiful scene. Beautiful, beautiful that scene That was my there. favorite scene of the night, okay? <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, I just knew he wasn't going to do that. Like, I, could, I was like, okay, George is going to, like, make... I, I thought in my mind that she's going to walk over there. He's going to act like he does not know Emmett and, and Ted or whatever the case. And was I wrong? Yeah. I was horribly wrong. Yeah. Go on, Emmett. I'm proud of you. Uh, so over at the loft, we see uh, Justin is there laying on the bed, and he is reading a reading the paper, reading about the boy found in the dumpster. And he's wanting to talk about it. So he's asking Brian questions, and Brian's just kind of blowing him off. And Brian says, well, what if the guy who killed him was someone that, that we were with, so, somebody that we brought here? What about that guy from the other night? You know, we didn't even know his name. We didn't even know him. And Brian's like, oh, that would have been hot. And Justin just kind of rolls his eyes. Uh, because he's being serious. And, he's and Brian's like, always playing. Yeah. And so then we get this. I want to talk about this scene twice because it is a pretty hot scene that we that it we is, get But there was this. some real shit in it because there you're was. lecturing him on, you know, oh, we're bringing people home. You don't even know them. Well, that's what you did at 17. Yeah. You and know? so that's what Brian says. You know, the first time you came here, you didn't know me. You didn't know what I was going to do. And just I'm like, I'm pretty sure I knew what you were going to do. Yeah. He knew <laughs> uh-huh. it. But what happens if he would have done that and yeah. then when you he, he hit it from the back, he choked you out and you would have never made it home to Jennifer, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, so he puts something on his mind like, hey, we make these choices. It happens all the time, you know, but you can't live in fear. And yeah. I'm not going to stop doing me because of crazy people out there. Like, it's crazies out there, mm-hmm. but I still got to live and be me. Uh, And so Brian says, you know, what if I strangled you? What if I did? And so he's doing all this and it, it's very like sexy the way he's it, doing it all. But girl, yeah. it was real sexy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he like licks up his whole body. I mean, yeah, it's a, a, a very hot and steamy scene between the two of them. But something else that's going on is Justin is trying to have a serious conversation, but it gets pushed to the side in favor of, of sex, you know? Girl, he was trying to have a serious conversation once Brian choked him one last time. He's like, fuck me. <laughs> yeah, then he's like, okay, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, but so. I think that's that's normal for them. So, like, Melanie and Lindsay, they fight, and they have these hard conversations, and they say very wrong things to each other, and they should probably find a, better, a healthier way to fight. <laughs> but they ultimately get to the, the issue and then they move on from it. Well, Brian and Justin, like, things come up, and then it's like, uh, but then they just, like, have sex. <laughs> True. And so, I think going back to Brian bringing up Justin's first night coming home with him, I don't know, I don't know that Justin was fully aware of the potential danger of this no. situation, because Justin is a little impulsive. And also, at that age, at 17, you're pretty, you think you're invincible, yep. you know? So, I think that was a lot of it. He just kind of wasn't thinking about the danger, but after the bashing... That has it now changed, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, the thing that I said I wanted to talk about earlier with Justin connecting to that guy in a different way, I think Justin would not see it this way necessarily 
So I don't think he necessarily knows it, but I think Justin is triggered in this episode. Oh. And he's shaken because this reminds him of how close he was. Yeah, because it was a gay that, bashing. Yeah, yeah, a hate crime, you know? And so it's like, that could have been me easily. And so I think Justin, he's not quite putting it all the way together yet, but I do think subconsciously that's what's going on in yeah, him. Yeah, I know, Because for real. he's like, this is... For whatever reason, he's latched on to this. All the rest of them have moved on, but not Justin. Right. And it's not just that we know that he loves justice and he wants to, you know, get answers on things. Right. But it's not just that. I think this is personal for him. And that's why I said if they'd have kept that part in there that made him a little bit more connected to that guy, it might be, would have been a little bit more obvious. But um, I definitely think that's what's going on with him. He's been no. a little bit. He's been a little bit triggered. Seriously, now I can see it. I mean, I didn't. I didn't go that deep. But now I can totally see all of that. Okay, so I'll talk about that some more later. <laughs> um, anyway, so over in the limo, they have left the opera. And now Emmett is kind of regretting the way that he spoke to Virginia. But George tells him, oh, no, absolutely not. Like, I love the way you handled that. Like, it absolutely bolstered George's confidence. So, again, this is why I think that Emmett is so good for him. He brings, He's bringing out this other side of George. He's giving him... He gave and given him life. Yeah. He made him feel youthful. And also, no one has been taking up for George. Exactly. He's been beaten. He, I mean, well, not physically beaten, but I mean, he's been broken been, yeah. from his children to his wife. I mean, they stripped him of everything. He's exiling himself in his own home. Mm-hmm. I mean, he feels alive. I mean, Emmett came through. I mean, but I, 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 and what makes me love this scene too is that Emmett actually has remorse for even doing it because he's like, you know, I, I disrespected you by disrespecting right. her, you know? And he was like, oh, hell no. Like, Thank you. Like, that was the funniest thing and the best thing of the night, you mm-hmm. know? So I'm glad Emmett, I'm glad George has someone that's going to stand up for him. And now he can realize, like, hey, there's more to life. You know, yeah. there's so much more to life. I should have been living my best life, you know, way long time ago. Yeah. We see Lindsay and Melanie in their home now, and there's one letter left, and it was never opened. And in that, when they do open it and read it, and in that letter, that's where Vera, Vera was telling Faye that my husband's passed away now, and we've let all this time go by, but now you know, she basically she's just telling her, I, I still love you. I know because one of the letters from before she had told her, I wish I was brave like you are, but. Cause Vera you, was going to come out in the forties. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. mean, Vera, I mean, Faye, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Faye was, Faye was yeah. going to come out in the forties. Okay. Yeah. She wouldn't have it. Vera she was, was that chick. Yeah. yeah that, that was her. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hair flipping. Okay. Yeah. She was ready. But Vera was like, but Vera uh-uh. wasn't. she like, wasn't ready. No. And so, and so she just kind of cut ties there. And so, and that was back in the 40s. Well, here comes this letter in the 90s. And she is letting her know that this whole time she's always loved her. And she kind of regrets the decision that she made. Well, the letter was dated in 1994 and Faye died in 1992. So she never got to read it. But going through this whole thing for Lindsay, we've already talked about how important and therapeutic that was for her. But for Melanie, getting to see this side like she re- recognizes how big of a deal that hey now we even though it's not the rights that we have now in 2021 but they can still publicly have a relationship yep. and publicly declare themselves committed and have this public ceremony that's a wedding to them you know they can still do that they can do that now and so melanie is kind of putting all that together and even though melanie still doesn't care about some of that other stuff, and even though she'll probably still complain about the price of some of it, she realizes why this is important to Lindsay right. and why this should be, why this is such a big deal, you know, for mm-hmm. them as women, for them as lesbians, uh, and then just for them as a couple. And so she's like, "All right, we're doing it. <laughs> we're doing the the cornucopia Dior or whatever." 
and we're going to pay $125 a plate. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where we get the money from, but we're going to do it. <laughs> exactly. But that's all she needed to see. Yeah. She needed to see that someone was going to try to sacrifice themselves for love, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't about the plates. It wasn't about anything. It was about just a true connection, you know, yeah. love. In a time where it was... If you already feel not accepted, can you imagine how Vera and Faye felt? You right, know? Like, yeah. It was crazy. Your job back then was to literally just have children and be a wife. Exactly. You know, not to do anything else, not self-think. You're supposed to just cook and have children. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that was it. So, I mean, I think she can see, like, yo, we're very privileged, you know? Yeah, and she, so whatever opportunities we get, we're going to take them. Yep. <laughs> you know? And we're going to we keep pushing once. those boundaries yeah. and, pull, mm-hmm. and pushing for more. But we're going to, every little inch they give us, we're absolutely taking it. Yeah. So Michael and Ben are up on the roof. And I like this scene because it looks very superhero comic book X. Because they're over the roof. They're over on this roof, looking down on the people, like patrolling the city. Yeah, it's like you know? Batman and Robin. I love the way that that is, uh, that that is shot. Captain Astro and Astro Glide. I mean, what was uh, his sidekick? No. no, no, Galaxy Land. Okay, Galaxy Land. Well, Astro Glide. I mean, uh, my, I don't sorry, know y'all. what. I don't want to know what that is. <laughs> oh, girl, trust me. <laughs> oh gosh. Um. And so Michael says he's now. I think he's kind of conflicted because he's like, you know, look at them down there. They're just going, going on about their lives and doing whatever. Like they're not even taking a moment like nothing even happened and ben says they don't want to think about it which is what what you said earlier Mm -hmm. and then michael says well he deserves to be remembered and at this moment it's kind of unclear if he's talking about dumpster boy or captain astro i feel like i'm being disrespectful calling him dumpster boy but i think we don't know his name we don't know his name and it's important to use that because that's how he's being treated yeah like oh just some random dumpster kid yeah yeah mm -hmm, which is unfortunate but that is how he's they intentionally did it that way but so all this has michael thinking about the fragility of life and he asks Ben, do you ever get scared? And Ben's like, yeah, well, that's why I, I meditate and do yoga and work out. And, you know, anything I can do to have some peace of mind, that's why I do it. But he says, and also finding someone to hold, like finding somewhere, whatever moments you get in life, however many minutes you're going to have, finding someone to share those with, mm-hmm. you know, that helps make it worth it. It helps make it matter. Like you should find like joy and peace and solace in that as well. It's like you got to live for the moment. Yeah. You know? And you have to live in that moment. You take advantage of every single moment because you never know when it's your time. Yeah. But I like how still they have a little vigil there and they, he lights, you know, a, a little lighter and they just kind of take a moment up there on the roof. Uh, and then we go down to the street and Brian is leaving Babylon with his trick. And Justin's like, well, you don't even know him. And so his name is either Tommy or Timmy or Tony. <laughs> and, and Something with a T. Yeah. And Justin says, well, hey, what's your name? Now, this is important because the rule, not, is, the rule is no, no names. names. And so that's why I say Justin is triggered in this episode because he is like, no, we need to know who these people are. Because he's not even caring about the rules. He's but like, girl, we need to be safe. The rule is already broken. Why didn't they agree on the same guy together? Well, see, I, I don't think it has to be together. They can do separate things, too. Well, then he didn't say, like, <laughs> no, hell no. The rule was they had to no, agree. No, yes, no, it was. No. yes, it was. No, the yes, rule was, was oh, you can y'all, go Y'all, on wherever. our mid-cap, we're going to get into this. We're not going to argue right now. We're not. <laughs> on the mid-cap. Y'all know I got the receipts and the scripts, so. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah she, she does, but when it, uh, uh, Hush, okay? You don't do that to me. Uh, <laughs> but okay, I feel Justin has a valid, valid point to ask because, in my opinion, they were supposed to be getting people together. And also, <laughs> if we came to the club together, we should be leaving together. You're not going to just be walking off into the sunset you know, or the midnight 
with, yeah. with some random, strange, creepy-looking dude. For real. Okay? He did look a little bit creepy, a little bit sketch. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, but uh, Brian says, are you scared? I'm going to get murdered. And then Justin's like, Brian, you know, like trying to get his attention. Like, hey, take this seriously. Take me seriously. And Brian says, well, there's never been a better time to hook up with a stranger. Because he's like all about the thrill of it all. You know, I think he's also just trying to. I mean, some people can say maybe Brian's just trying to, in his own way, calm Justin down. But I don't think that is exactly what's what's going on. I low-key feel Brian is just as scared as Justin. He just puts on a better front. <laughs> well, okay. So here's what I think is going on. I think that, like I said, I think just, Justin has been shaken and triggered. And so now, because we know that Justin has gone many, many, many steps forward post-bashing, but he is still struggling with PTSD and that's going to rear its ugly head at random times. Right. And so I do think that this has shaken something elusive, sh- shaken something loose in him that has some acting this way to where now he is saying, Hey, maybe we do need to be more safe. Maybe we do need to know our partner, the, the guys that we hook up with. You know, maybe we should know their names or, you know, know who it is we're bringing to our home or whose home we're going to. Uh, and so I think that's what's going on. But for Brian, I think Brian sees it as, What's the big deal? I'm following the rules. And the status quo has always worked for Brian. He's always hooked up with random guys and mm. it's always been fine and whatever. And I don't think he really sees Justin's fear as for what it is. I don't think he sees it as connected to the bashing. Right. Um, I think what he might see is Justin acting like a worried wife, <laughs> you yeah. know, and he might feel like Justin is trying to guilt or scare him into something, into a different type of commitment, into a modified rule or something like that. And anytime Brian feels that kind of pressure, he oh, bristles push, yeah. and he pushes against it. He bucks against it. And so I think that's why he is like so super committed to, nope, I'm going with Timmy, Tommy, Tony. <laughs> because we saw in a couple of episodes ago, um, Justin was like, yo, let's just go home together. You yeah. know? And they was like, yeah. And they went. Well, this one just was like, hey, let's just go home. And Brian was like, basically, no. Yeah. I mean, he didn't say those words, but mm-hmm. he just. I, I mean, think he didn't he's do it. reading this as Justin being clingy mm-hmm. for an irrational reason. And uh, he just kind of re- needs to reestablish that distance yeah. between them in some way. And so that's what I think is going on with Brian. But I think this is a, a disconnect between right. the two of them. It is. They're not seeing where the other person's coming from. And I, that's dangerous because yeah. Justin is young. So, I mean, like, he could easily make a very impulsive decision that could, like, really just make that relationship, you know what I'm saying, not a good little situation that they mm-hmm. got going on. So that kind of scares me. I didn't like the way this episode ended, like, with him just walking off with the guy. I love the Justin imagery. In. Because yeah. it's this, like, mysterious, scandalous, it smoky, me. red I'm thing. terrified. And even him and Brian are kind of built the same way. Yeah. They, like, stalk off into the night, like, two enigmas, yeah. you know, leather coats. So I like, visually, I like it. But it's just like, oh, this looks, like, not great. It doesn't look good. I just, I, I'm thinking the worst. That's why yeah. I was begging you. He was begging literally begging you. me to watch the first five minutes for the next episode. But I, just I feel like refused. It's, yeah, you did. And you're such a meanie. <laughs> And I just feel like it's unsafe. Like, I'm with Justin. And I mean, like, yeah. call me old. I don't care. I'm with Justin. It's unsafe. I'm, I'm, yeah. I feel scared for but him. But it's just, yeah. So even with that also, it's just Justin is clearly having a traumatized reaction. But is it a traumatized but, reaction? Because this whole time we met Justin, yes, he's young. He's done some immature things. But for the most part, he's been pretty much the most mature out of all of them. So is it just him being mature, though? He saw, he witnessed the one. Have, get a hate crime, you know, um, committed onto them. 
treated them like or trash. Or something that you don't even know. It's right. like, that's even scarier. Yeah, yeah exactly. You don't even know what the motivation was. Exactly. Was you know, like, and the cops ain't told you anything. You know, they're not going to help you. They don't even you. really care. Yeah, they don't even give a damn. Liberty Avenue. Yeah. yeah, they don't give a damn. So who is it, who is even going to, you know, fight for you? You know, if you got kidnapped or even, you know, if you got killed or even kidnapped, who is going to be there to solve this crime or to even assist in finding, you know, like, there is no help. Like, you have to think sometimes. Like, you think this is fun and games. You know, Justin loves this man. You know, yeah. like, Justin loves this man. And he would never want not one hair on his head, you know, messed up. Right. So, it's like, you're not taking it seriously. Yeah. Literally just two days ago or a day ago. I don't, I don't know the time like that. But we found a guy dead. You mm-hmm. know, like, come on. It could have been anybody we messed with. And this, this is the killer right here. And it, and it should ring totally different in Brian's ears for Justin to say... This could have been us. This could have been yeah. Me. Because that should feel still feel very real to because to Brian. Ten episodes ago, you know right? What I'm yeah, ten episodes ago, like I mean, you were all over the place. You know what I'm saying? You were hurt. You didn't know what to do. You were sitting in waiting rooms. You know, you didn't, they don't yeah. even sound like you. You yeah. know, so I mean, come on. Now. Yeah. So yeah, this just breakdown in communication and in understanding each other, and then Brian kind of going off anyway, and then. You know, him totally misreading Justin's needs and intention. And yeah. Absolutely. Well, guys, this was such a fun episode. I mean, the way they left that cliffhanger, though. Oh, I can't wait to get to y'all next week. (laughs) I just cannot wait. Okay. But um, if you have any questions, guys, you know how to reach us. And, um, you know, we like we always say, we love for you guys to be interactive. Make sure you write in. Let us know what your thoughts were about this episode. Yes, we do appreciate all of the comments and emails yes. that we received um, just this past week and thus far on the journey. So more, 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 please. Absolutely. Absolutely, guys. Like we said before, we do this for you and for our mutual love for the show, you know. So yeah. uh, it's all love here, and we're going to continue to bring you this content as long as you guys let us know it's something that you enjoy having and listening to, okay? Well, until next time, guys, we are out of here. Bye. Bye. Bye.